pastor here at First Baptist. If you have an outline, pull that out. You see it, it's entitled, Understanding the Present Time. We just finished uh, last Sunday with our kind of our two-year journey in the fall time of going through the Old Testament and the New Testament. And um, today I wanted to launch into a passage of Scripture found in Romans chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Romans chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible, it should be in the uh, chairs down here and upstairs. It should be in the backs of the pews. And if you actually have one today and you don't have one there with you, then you can pick one up out at our Next Step Center on your way out. But in the last couple of weeks, I ended the messages talking about a verse out of James chapter 2. And let me just put it up here on the screen again, James chapter 2, because in this passage it talks about love your neighbor as yourself. And the reason I ended it there is because it summarized so much of what the fulfillment of Christ would have us do. Actually, what James would want us to do, as the Spirit spoke to him. But that same theme is all throughout Scripture. And we see it in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, where it's in there as well. We see it when Jesus talks about it in Matthew chapter 22, and it's shared in other Gospels as well. And then we see it again as Paul brings it up in Romans chapter 13. And so I wanted to read it in full context of where the passage came from, because I think it shares the heart of the Gospel. And fulfilling the gospel of what Christ wants us to do after we know him and have a relationship with him. And so Romans chapter 13, starting with verse 8, I'll be reading out of the NIV 84 today. Here's what it says. Verse 8, chapter 13. Let no debt remain outstanding except, excuse me, except, yeah, the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. And whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. And here it is, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. He goes on, he says, and do this, what is the this? The this is to love, like he encourages us to love. Do this, understanding the present time. For the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let's behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do this, excuse me, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Paul jumps into this section talking about debt, and yet he doesn't really share much about debt. And, and the reason he does this at the very beginning is because the section right beforehand in verses 6 and 7, 
he has been talking about finances and taxes and paying those taxes. And so even though Paul's really, his mandate is not talking financially about debt, I think if he looked at the rest of Scripture and it all came into how we read it today, he would also encourage us not to become a slave to our financial debt. He would definitely encourage us, pay it up, pay it off. Don't make it a lifestyle. And, and I want to just comment briefly on that part of Paul's uh, teaching this morning because I want to compliment you at First Baptist on this kind of a mindset. Even as we have purchased now the community center, that became reality last Friday, we've wanted to be very responsible with the debt that we have. We want to pay it off as soon as we possibly can. In fact, the financing has been prayed over, it's been prayed through, and hopefully so many of you have jumped up and said, sure, I'll help, I'll take responsibility to help pay that off as well, as we've had a debt on the children's building and now on the community center that we have. We see God just opening though the floodgates of ministry, opportunities that we can happen over there. We see him opening those doors in terrific ways. Certainly do hope that you'll join us this afternoon and get on those grounds. We had a wonderful time praying over these grounds this last week. I'll talk about that more in just a bit. But I, I wanted to again say thank you because so many of you have been giving over and above gifts, over and above, that this last month we took in over $50,000 to bring that mortgage down, to bring that debt down. That's, that's, that's well above what we normally do, and uh, it's the highest amount that we've actually had since we began the 2020 campaign. So thank you for making that a reality. In fact, you have this card in your bulletin. If you don't mind, just pulling that out real quickly. It's a card that we say, hey, you know what? If you're a regular around here and you'd be willing to help us partner to make a difference ongoing until that community center, until that children's building, bringing down that debt is a reality, we desire that you join in with us. And so if you don't mind just in this Thanksgiving season praying over that, certainly don't have to turn that in today, but if you want to pray over that and bring it back in the next few weeks, that will be a tremendous blessing to a church that we know um, is so, so generous. In fact, I was just talking with Kevin and Katrina Hess. Um, they have a friend who's in the hospital. And um, that friend, uh, we really don't know them here at First Baptist, but many of us know Kevin, and he sh as he shared that with us, so many of you have stepped in and said, what can we do to help? Not even knowing a person like that. What can we do to help make a difference? Pastor Scott just shared that 413 love boxes were given by you into our school districts and around this uh, city. Um, uh, the organizer of that this year, Bob Morgan, who helps us with all the boxes and putting things together and get it distributed, texted me and he said, do you realize, Pastor Brad, we have given out 3,600 boxes over the last nine years of food supplies. He said that's over $100,000 worth of food that we have given to people in this community to make a difference. And we do that in the name of Jesus. We do that to say, we just want to bless you. We just want you to know we're praying for you. In fact, when those boxes were sorted, they were prayed over as well. And, and so again, thank you, First Baptist, for being such a generous congregation. In fact, if you've been here for most of our weeks uh, in 2017, you've also known that I have not had to step up and say, hey, folks, we're a little bit behind budget here, or hey, we're coming through the summer months. It's been more difficult. We praise God for the generosity of the people here at First Baptist that allow us to continue to get the message of Jesus Christ to the people who need to hear it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And we know that the end of the year is coming, and so many people are even more generous at that point in time. Thank you for your blessings in that. But again, that would resonate with what Paul is saying here. 
Not to have a financial debt that weighs upon you, but where he transitioned this is, is he talks about having a debt of love for one another. And that, that's really where I want to go with the beginning of the points here. Having a debt of love for one another. Because you realize, I don't know if you realize this or not, but really we are all born into debt. I mean, think about this for just a moment. John Maxwell says it well. He says, the instant you are born, you already owe someone for nine months room and board. That's a great point, huh? That's true. Every one of you, every one of us. And actually, we're not very good at paying that off, are we? We probably didn't do well. Some of you, well, half of you, ladies, you, you, you went through it, and so you owe a debt back to you. But, but so true. That God who even gives us life, and our parents who give us that life, we owe a debt of love to them. And so what Paul gets into here is he talks about, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt of love for one another. And what his point is here, and I summarized it, the very first point there, is to share the love. Share the love, he says. Let me read it all in context. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others, that's what fulfills the law. And then he says, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. He goes on to say in verse, end of verse 9, as soon as Karen pushes that button, thank you very much, Karen, and whatever other command there may be, they're all summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. You know, this last week I did a funeral, and some of you might recognize the name Carl LaGruda. He was a long time, he and Cheryl, long time members here at First Baptist. They now live up uh, in the foothills, but Carl passed away a few weeks ago. Did the funeral for him. It was a great time of reflecting on his life and with his family and kids and grandkids. And, and you know, I got to thinking, there, there are two types of funerals that I, I get to do. And I, and I do a lot of different funerals. One is kind of the smaller more somber one, that, that share testimonies maybe about what a person did. Kind of like, you know, they say he loved to work, and many people will say that about someone in that generation. Oh, that's what he did all the time. He, he loved to work. Or they'll say, you know what, he loved the 49ers, or he loved the Raiders, or he loved the Giants, or something like that. Kind of identifying with a team. Or he loved to go fishing. You know, they, they, that's what he liked to do. Oftentimes people will stand up and they'll show those kind of testimonies. In fact, I, I think I might have shared this before, but my brother had a, a, a time when he was doing a funeral, and um, nobody stood up at the funeral time to give a testimony. And then one person walked forward, walked to the front of the church, turned around and said, Oh, Bob, he sure loved his beer. Turned back around and sat down. Man, how do you transition out of that one, right? Whoa. I, I hope right now you are doing things so that people can share testimonies at your funerals. Because that's the second type of, yeah, don't make it awkward for me, right? Nobody wants to share about you. That's the second type of funeral that I get to do. Those types where 
not about activities, not about the things that they did, but it's about the love that they had for the people in their lives. Testimony is about the time that they spent together with people. Testimony is about how people felt the love from them. Having their kids and grandkids, and this has happened at one of the services I had, that every kid who got up and shared, they would say, no, grandma loved me more. No, grandma loved me the most. No, and you know why that took place? Because grandma made each and every one of them feel so special and so loved. And vow now to have that kind of a funeral. Vow now to create those testimonies in your life. And Paul says, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to have that love for one another. I want you to share that love. And it's interesting who he actually goes after in talking about who you should share that love with. Because you know what? It's easy to love you guys. It's easy to love the lovely. It's easy to love the lovable people. But what he does is he he uses a term, and there's a Greek word here. There's a Greek word. There's two different kinds of another, as it says in verse 8. There's a homogeneous kind that the another means the same kind as you, or there's the another term that means different from you. And that's the one that's used here, the other that is different from you. And so what he's getting after is somebody who's maybe in a different temperament, someone who has a different religion, someone who maybe has a different belief system, someone who has a different race, someone who has a different background, someone who has a different nationality, kind of like when Jesus was preaching and sharing about the Good Samaritan story. That's what Paul is really getting at here. Can you love those people? You know, our neighbors over here at the Scottish Rite, we've had a great relationship with them. We really have. And I think it's because both them and us, we we desire to care for love and love on people. And and in many ways, we've had to look through the fact that their good works are, are great things and blessings to people, but they don't share the same religion that we share. And, and, I, and I share this at um, the prayer times that we've been having over these last few days. In fact, our staff was in there praying over those grounds on, on Monday. Uh, Tuesday night, we had prayer words praying over that as well. Wednesday night, we had a large group gathering coming and pray over those grounds as well. I hope you'll join us, come back today to work over there, but also to walk around and just pray for the different areas in there. We differ on what we believe. And some people will say, well, no, that's not true, Pastor Bad. We, we really have a lot of commonalities. You know, we, we do have some, but our faith is not one of them. In fact, let me, let me share with you a book called The Lost Keys of Freemasonry, a quote from that book by Manly P. Hall. He writes that the Masonic religion really is a universal religion. It says Christ, Buddha, Muhammad, the name means little, for he recognizes only the light and not the the bearer. So maybe there's some people who are, who are Christians, but the religion itself, the work itself, is allowing all different religions in. It goes on to say, the mason worships at every shrine, bows before every altar, whether in a temple, a mosque, or a cathedral, realizing with his truer understanding the oneness of all spiritual truth. And you scratch your head that, and you say, you know what? There are so many people today who believe that. That began for them back in the 1600s, where that was brought in. It doesn't matter if it's Christ. It doesn't matter if it's Buddha. It doesn't matter if it's Muhammad. It all leads to the same place. And yet that goes 
diametrically opposed to what Jesus said. Because you remember what Jesus said out of John 14, 6, where he said, I am the way, the truth, and the what? No one comes to the Father except through, except through me. Yes. And so, you know, even though we've differed on some of those things, we've still desired to be great neighbors, and they've still desired to be great neighbors as well. And even our ability to be able to step in and purchase this was a blessing from them to say, we want you, First Baptist. We want you to have that. That's the kind of love I think Paul's kind of getting at here, that even though we may be different, we can still love on one another. Because, again, it's easy to love you. Well, most of you. But you're the lovely. You're the lovable. You're, you're, you're like-minded. But how do you love people who are maybe of a different background? How do you love people of a different religion? How about people of a different lifestyle? You know, a couple Tuesday nights ago on election night, the um, first openly transgender state legislator, Danica Rome, was elected into U.S. office and First one in U.S. history to be a state legislator was voted in. And um, a gentleman by the name of Andrew T. Walker, who works with the Southern Baptists on Director of Policy Studies for Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, um, he just tweeted these words after it was official that this person had won the, the seat. They said, Christian parents, the nation's first transgender elected official enters into American history tonight. What are you doing? for this new world. And that's all he said. He said, what are you doing to prepare it? And I'm sorry this is, this is popping on us. We're kind of working on that behind the scenes, so hopefully that will be taken care of. Just kind of overlook that if you can. When he tweeted that, because he's a person of, of kind of nationality or of, of, of a lot of fame within these uh, circles, Time Magazine went ballistic with it a whole story that he would text out those words and kind of um, those negative reactions that came about from that. They did a story on that. He was called narrow-minded. He was called hate-filled. He was called a bigot. Um, and yet the question he, he brought up is, is very legitimate. Basically, he was saying, we live in a culture, Christians, which brands anyone who doesn't champion this relativistic morality as being intolerant and being prejudiced. If you don't believe what the world believes, then you get called a chauvinist. Then you get called a bigot. Then you get called narrow-minded. Then you get called judgmental. How do we handle that? In fact, let me say it this way. How do we speak truth in love to a culture that does not hear truth as loving? That's really where it comes down to. Because God's word is truth, and when it differs from other people, how do we share that? A world that doesn't want to hear truth, that doesn't think truth is loving, how do we still be loving in the midst of that? That's our step. That's our question. That's what Paul would want us to do, share the love, he would say. And one of the first things we need to remember here is that Christian truth without Christian love is really contradictory. That we should love people as we share truth with them. Because many times the people you are sharing your truth with are hurting people. And I've said this many times, hurting people hurts people. You know, psychologists, when they help people with some of the issues that they're going through, have a term called the presenting problem. 
So someone will sit down with them, begin to share some things with them, and it will be the presenting problem. But what a psychologist learns and understands is that that might not be the biggest issue that they're dealing with. That there's other issues underneath there that they're trying to work through. And that might just be the presenting problem that they have, but there are other things in the midst of that. And the way, the best way that I have found to get through that and to find out how people really tick, to find out what they're really about, is by putting the defenses down, by just loving on them. By just sharing love and not pushing our religion upon them, not pushing, you know, your agenda on them as well, but starting on the basis of love with someone who maybe has been hurt. And and post Baptist, that's what I would hope that we would be. We'd be people who would earn the right to help people, that we would be people who are known more for what we're for rather than what we're against. And as we love people, we love them like Jesus. As we love people, let me say it this way, as we love Jesus, we'll love the people Jesus loves. Because here's the fact about this. There's a difference between loving God and being in love with God. You might say, I'm not sure I follow that one. Well, I'm going to let you play with that one for a little bit. There's a difference between loving God and being in love with him. Because when we are in love with Jesus, his compassion becomes our compassion. His grace becomes our grace. And this week, you're going to be with family members. You're going to be with friends who you maybe even gather around a table and share a Thanksgiving meal, but you are at odds with them And oh boy, you want to tell them a thing or two? Oh yeah. And when those political comments start coming up, when someone starts sharing some things, oh my goodness, just remember this. You're not trying to win the argument. You're trying to win their soul. Love them into the kingdom. Bless them. Love them. Share the love on them. They'll look through that and they'll see who you really are. And and Paul really kind of goes there first and foremost because of what we see coming up in verse 11. Because verse 11 talks about how we're supposed to do this understanding the present time. And the next point I wrote down there was this. Wake up and stop snoozing. Wake up and stop snoozing. Paul says it like this. Do this, that is love on people you come into contact with, whether they're like you or not, understanding the present time. For the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. In fact, show of hands. How many of you are morning people? How many of you are morning people? Okay. How many of you are not morning people? All right. All right, pretty well, pretty well split there. Um, you know, my wife, I'm not a morning person. And so, you know, how many of you actually think that that snooze button is the greatest invention that was ever made? Yeah, yeah, a lot of, a lot of us, huh, right? My wife will ask me, why do you set your alarm and then hit the snooze button? And I say, because those are nine of the most glorious minutes of sleep I ever, ever get, right? Right? Fellow, fellow non-morning people, yeah. Yeah, I'm, surpri- I'm actually surprised some of you morning people haven't like set up a system that when you hit the snooze button twice, you get electrocuted. <laughs> That'll wake you up out of bed, huh? Right? Right? But Paul is saying, come on now. Wake up from this. Wake up. He says, 
Now, here's what I want to draw the analogy with. The alarm clock goes off for many of you every Sunday morning at 9.30. And you walk right out of this building, and you hit the snooze. You say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll get there. I'll get there. Oh, that was a great idea. Yeah, I should be doing that. But we hit the snooze button when we walk out. Seven days. The alarm goes off. And we hit the snooze seven days. Oh, I'll get back into it next week. Oh, you know, hit the snooze. I'll, I'll be there next week. And I'll be awake and I'll wake up again, but not do anything with what's talked about. I mean, just the very words on the back of our signs here say, welcome, or you are now entering the mission field. First part of it says, welcome to First Baptist. When you are leaving this place, you see the words, the last words you see on those signs are, you are now entering the mission field. Because it's easy, again, to love you. It's easy to love the people across the aisle from you most of the time, but not when you leave. That can be hard. So let me ask you, what are you putting off? You're putting off building relationships with those others, neighbors, maybe across the street, across beside you. What about those neighbors? Are they, are they the other that Paul is talking about here? What are you putting off? Maybe it's scheduling time with your spouse that you've talked about. Let's get away. We need to have some time together. Maybe you've been putting off devotions that you know you need. And you come here on Sunday mornings, you hear that. Yeah, I should be doing that. But then you hit the snooze button. Seven days come by. Oh, yeah, being reminded. Yeah, I should do that. What have you been putting off? Maybe your parents or your grandparents. Maybe it's giving on a regular basis. Maybe it's um, uh, spending time with your kids. Maybe it's finding more time to watch television. I, I don't know. Some of you catch that one? Yeah, you don't want to go down that path, right? Some of you are like, I got that one. He's like, did he really say that? Yeah, just checking to see if you're awake, all right? All right? We find the time we want to do. We don't put off those kind of things, do we? What have you been putting off? Paul says, wake up. Stop the snoozing. And then lastly, the last point I wrote down there was this. Clean up your mind. Clean up your mind. In fact, Romans 13 says it like this. It says, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. And let me, let me break this down for just a bit here. Because Paul talks about behaviors. He, he groups them into th- three different groupings of two. He says carousing and drunkenness. That's kind of the self-indulgence that we get into. And then he talks about sexual immorality and debauchery, which is a moral corruption. And then he talks about strife, that is dissension and jealousy. And he kind of throws these all in with equal weight, all put in together. In fact, though, when you weigh out the rest of Romans, if you continue to read, you can see that he actually talks a lot more about the strife, the dissension, and the jealousy that we need to deal with in our relationships one with another. And and here's how he says to do it. Verse 14, he says, Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. That word think. He says, do not even think about that. That word think is a Greek word, pronoia, which means forethought or to plan ahead. 
And so what Paul is saying here is don't have forethought about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Don't plan ahead. Don't fantasize. If you're on a diet, don't go to the refrigerator and throw the door wide open and say, oh, just looking. If you struggle with drinking, don't plan an evening with the friends who will end up in the bars. Don't, don't, don't think ahead like that. Don't plan that. I, I love what Martin Luther says about this. He says, you can prevent the birds from flying overhead, but you, uh, you can't prevent the birds from flying overhead, but you can prevent them from making a nest in your hair. And those birds will fly. You can't stop that, but they don't have to roost. They don't have to lay eggs. Some of you have got some eggs up there, right? You know it. You know the steps you need to take. In fact, you know, that phrase WWJD became very, very popular years ago. You know, remember what it stands for? What would Jesus, what would he do? There's a phrase that I think should come even before that one. And it would be WWJT. What would Jesus think? What would he begin to think? Because usually you think first and then you do. It begins with your thought. And then you take that step. And so Paul is saying, clear your mind. Clear it up and clear it up. He's getting very practical here. He's saying, hey, how do you want to live your life? Because the alarm clock is going off. And those seconds don't come back. What are you doing? In fact, let me give you something a little morbid that I want to challenge some of you to do. Go home this afternoon and Google death clock. I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but, but you can go on websites and they will count down when you should die. Just, just Google death clock. You put in your age. You put in maybe some of your health concerns and things like that. And you can see there, and it will begin a countdown for you of the day that you're supposed to die. A little depressing, right? When you got only about seven years to live, right? Fun when you're in your 20s. Ha, ha, ha. That's really cute. But when you're in your 60s, 70s, it's like, oh, boy. What do you do? When you find out you only have five years to live. What do you do when you have three years here? What do you do when you find out you should have been dead six years ago? Right? <laughs> if that's the case, actually, why don't you do something good there and realize you're living on borrowed time? God, what do you want me to do for the rest of my time, for the rest of my days? Paul says, think about it. Think about some of those things. Don't think the negative. Don't think about self-gratifying. Think about those things. It may even be one of the reasons that Jesus asked us so often to reflect upon the love that he showed us when he went to the cross. In fact, many of you have seen the communion elements when you walked in here to the service today. Let me share with you what Paul writes over to the Corinthian church. Paul challenged them, and he gave them some instruction on what they should do when they came to this time of celebrating the Lord's Supper. And these same words can be given to us. He says, the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, again, in remembrance of me. For who, whenever you eat this bread, whenever you drink this cup, 
you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And so here at First Baptist, we take some time, it might be once a month, might be every six weeks or so, to remember what Jesus did, to think about, to dwell upon his sacrifice for us. And let me just help you a little bit if you are not used to this act that we do. This is for people who have said yes to Jesus. This is for people who have said, I received the Lord into my life. I asked him to be my personal Lord and Savior. And now you do this to remember that. And Jesus never said how often we were supposed to do it. He simply said, do it until I come again. And so this is a very holy act. It's a very reverent act that we remember what Jesus did for us. And so as these elements come, there's a cup that you take. It actually has two cups in one. Pull it out, and you'll see the juice in one. You'll see a wafer in the other as you separate those two. You don't have to be a member here at the church. You just do need to be a member of Jesus' family, and that is by accepting him as your Lord and Savior. And so perhaps today you've never made that decision. Perhaps today you're saying, you know what? Um, I've been trying to do the stuff you're talking about, Pastor Brad. It's not very easy. Yeah, it's because you don't have to do it on your own. You do it with God's spirit working inside of you, and that begins with taking a step of acceptance, of saying, I believe that Jesus Christ came to this world to die for me, went to the cross. Jesus, the Messiah, we sang about that. The name above all names, because he went to the cross to die for you, for me. That's the faith that we have in him to say yes. And so today, if you've never said yes to him, I'm going to pray here in just a bit, and I pray it will be your first time. And if it is, then we invite you to take these elements because now you can join in with what these signify. The cup being the blood that was shed for you, the wafer representing the body. Jesus dying for you. It's a great time to be together. It's a great season. Thanksgiving time. I pray as you approach these elements that you do it with an incredibly thankful heart. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for what it means to be a follower of you. God, I thank you that um, you sent your son in this world to die for us. And when Jesus went to that cross, God, even though he could have come off that cross at any given moment, even though he could have called a legion of angels to come and rescue him, he did not. Because it was love that kept him there. Love for people who would be sitting in a church in 2017. Love for people who would be driving past a church in 2017. Love for people who feel like they would never darken the doorway of a church. In 2017. And Lord, you did it for us. Yeah, we know we're not perfect. We know we have sin still in our lives. And so we come before you today. And we ask that you forgive us the sins that we have committed in our lives. We ask that you purify us from the unrighteousness. The things that, um, Lord, have separated us from you. But Lord, I thank you that there are so many people in here who have that forgiveness upon them already. Who live in that because they live knowing you as Lord and Savior. So Lord, may you continue to make your spirit present as we experience this moment now. And Lord, I pray for anybody else 
folks, if you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, you've never said those words to say, Lord Jesus, would you come into my life? And today would be that day to take that step. Just pray that prayer. Lord Jesus, would you come in? I receive you now. I ask you to forgive the sins that I've committed in my life. Today, I accept you as Lord and Savior. And you know that prayer is a prayer that Jesus sees. Prayer is a prayer that Jesus hears. That prayer is a prayer that God now will judge you upon, knowing that Jesus who went to the cross took your place, and he'll welcome you into heaven, saying you've been forgiven by what my son did for you. God, thank you for what this means for us now. We remember that act. We do this with great reverence. And we do this with a thankful heart. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.